All right, hello and welcome. Uh, we're, we're back for another week of Texan Overtime. I'm JT Lindsay. I'm one of the podcast editors. Back after a one-week hiatus. Um, Alex, I know, was very concerned, but he did a bang-up job uh, hosting in my absence. Good job, Alex. Thank you. Um, so anyway, I'm joined by, you know, you, you know them. You probably don't love them, but they're here. Uh, your uh, Texan sports editors. We've got Alex Brasenio. What's up? we got Ross Burkhart. Hey. And for this week, we've got uh, senior sports writer and recruiting beat writer, C.J. Vogel. How's it going? Uh, and they're, uh, we're all going to talk about, um, <coughs> did anything happen in Texas sports? Uh, I mean, there was one thing. Yeah, I mean, well, just what? a, a, little, sorry, a little, little, little bit of news. Well, Texas finally, finally mm-hmm. won a big game when people other than Texas fans watched. Um the Longhorns secured their first signature win of the Tom Herman era. It only took over a season. I think you've got to celebrate this if you're Texas because they were going to get destroyed if they came out flat. I mean, there, it was 14-3 in the first quarter, and if, if they let that get to them and they drop this game, they were going to never hear the end of it from Texas fans. So I think they deserve to celebrate this one. Well, and of course, everything felt bigger this week. Uh, unless you're living under a rock, and for some reason you don't know the score, it was 37-14 final score uh, at DKR last night. Texas beat USC. Uh, it was record attendance. The number was 103,507 showed up to watch this game, uh, beating the 2016 Notre Dame game by uh, quite a few. Uh, but let's we're going to talk about every aspect of this game. There's a lot to unpack. But first, I really want to talk about, uh, especially sitting in the student section, something that was really prevalent to me, was that this kind of felt like a different game. I think that last week, we certainly saw that the student turnout was huge, even for a game for Tulsa. But um, this week felt like a different animal on every front. Uh, The game atmosphere was huge. I got to the game at about 4.15, maybe 4.20, and showed up and was in line waiting for doors at 5, and we were not even close to the front of the line. Um, and so, it, you know, it was people came early, people certainly stayed late, and, and it was a, a big change. So let, let's talk a little bit about it. But first, there were a lot of several celebrities there. Uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott was there. Uh, Matthew McConaughey, of course. Will Ferrell was on the USC sidelines. And the real star of the show. Mason Ramsey, the yodel boy himself, uh, was there. Uh, little Hank Williams, if you want to follow him on social media. Is that his name? I believe, yeah. I believe it's Little Hank Williams. That's right. He's Little uh, Hank. He had performed at uh, the Phi Psi fraternity before the game. And so I'm curious, guys, if you had to pick one performer, who's your dream pregame performer? You can't pick Yodel Boy. That's all I, of our dreams. You're so not going to let me pick. Two? You're not going to let me pick Yodel Boy. I mean, because everybody wants that. That's too obvious. Is there any word on if he accepted his bid, though? I don't think he signed it. Okay. So um, Maybe in a few years. I also don't know if it's binding to give a (laughs) (laughs) 10-year-old a bid to the Fisai fraternity, but, like, that's got to be... I mean, they give... USC, like, gives scholarships to 14-year-olds. That seems like the same thing to me. Yeah. But if I had to pick, I think, my dream performer, I think I'd pick Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick is, like, almost too good for me. I, I, I would yeah. want uh, something that feels like college football, but also feels like, I don't know, it doesn't quite work. You know, like it's a little weird to have like the yodel boy hyping everybody up. So I would go with big and rich. 
Oh uh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, and let me tell you why. Two reasons. One, obviously, is the very, college game day anthem. This is right? so on brand for Jason. Because I want Big and Rich to come out and say, yeah, we're coming to your city. We'll be like, yeah, Big. Yeah, Rich. You're already here. We know you're coming. Uh, and then they can also they can close out their set with Save a Horse Ride a Cowboy, which has been described as a country rap song, which is amazing. I think that if you want to get fans, I mean, Austin's weird. You want to get fans hyped up and weird them out a little bit? Well, what about Outcast? But all they play is "Hey Yeah" for like an hour straight. Oh. What about just Big Boy and everybody just wishes Andre Three Thousand was there? <laughs> so now that we've gotten gotten past uh, trying to top Yodel Boy, uh, the atmosphere, including Yodel Boy, was massive. Like I said before, the attendance record was broken for Notre Dame: one hundred three thousand five hundred and seven showed up. I, I want to know what you guys think. I certainly have an opinion on this, but is this all Del Conte's doing? Is this excitement about the team? Is it excitement about USC? Is it all of it? Is it none of it? Like, what? Why was this game different? I think. I mean, when you look at the crowd, not even with just the student section. When you look at the, the numbers, a lot of people are going to say this is USC's doing, and this is you know the Trojan brand's doing. And I think there is. It's fair to say that, but. The reason I would provide some pushback is because if you look at the student section against Tulsa, I mean, typically a student section isn't going to look how it did against a team like Tulsa. And so, I mean, we expected to get it, you know, to see a jam-packed section on Saturday, and that's what happened. Um, but I, I think you, you have to give credit to Del Conte, or at least some credit to him, because, I mean, opening up the student section for general admission changes everything. I mean, you can get one of the best seats in the house with the big ticket. All you have to do is show up, you know, two hours before the game. And so it's just a new culture and mentality for, for Texas students that, you know, they know now I can't show up to the game in the second quarter and expect to get a good spot. I'm going to be in the corner of the end zone not being able to see anything. And so um, I know last year there were times where students were rolling in at the end of the first quarter. And so... Uh, on the other side, there haven't been any 11 a.m. kickoffs. So, you know, if Texas keeps winning, they won't have to worry about that. They shouldn't have any 11 a.m. kickoffs unless, you know, I think the Baylor game actually is going to lean toward that. Same with Iowa State. Those might be two uh, 11 a.m. kickoffs. But for now, I mean, from what we've seen, they're, they're going to come out again next week. They play a ranked TCU team. Um, and so it, this is going to be the peak, I think, of as far as attendance goes, I know then we'll have to see, you know, where it goes from there. But I mean, give Del Conte some credit or a lot of credit actually. Cause like you said, I haven't seen a game day atmosphere like I've seen, you know, these past two weeks. Yeah. I mean, Alex and I walked down Bevo Boulevard yesterday, checked out, you know, the Heisman house and, and Longhorn city limits and everything. And the whole, I mean, we, we heard like USC fans just like walking beside us and they were like, we don't have any, like any food trucks like this or anything. And like, it was apparent that, you know, talking to the to the Daily Trojan writers and everything that like this atmosphere is is really a big hit with with Texas fans and also I mean even the opposing fans were like wow this is a pretty cool atmosphere and like maybe even not knowing that it was the second week that they've done this but I mean you saw the student section and it was I would say eighty percent full like maybe ninety minutes before game time oh yeah and I mean it was even packed last week but. I mean, it really showed this week how the students came out. And I think the most 11 a.m. kickoffs that you can avoid if you're Texas Athletics, I think you got to do it 
because I think that is also a huge factor aside from, you know, the team. They beat Tulsa. That was a big game. Del Conte. But I think a big, big reason is those primetime 7 p.m. games. I think those are a big hit with the students. I mean, on a serious note, I do. Th- I've tweeted this out last night. Like, not just the students, but Texas fans have been begging for something like this for so long. I mean, after the Notre Dame win, once Texas fans realized, like, okay, that that win wasn't as big as we thought it was. After that, there hasn't been anything. I mean, like we said last last year, nothing. You go six and six, you don't get any marquee wins, and so it just felt like it was just a huge like sigh of relief from everybody, from the coach, from players, from the fans. It was kind of like finally we can celebrate on the national stage. Uh, TZ, you were in the student section. What do you see? Yeah, so the student section, like like y'all were saying, it was filled up well before game time. Um, saving seats for anybody was nearly impossible. Uh, you know, once the game started off, there was just an electric feel, something that really hadn't been prevalent, I guess, last year at all. Um, and I, I think a lot of that is attributed to the whole Viva Boulevard outside. Um, that definitely helps the atmosphere, having just like – uh, stuff going on outside the stadium, really you didn't have that before um, this season at least, uh, unless it was blocks away tailgating in the, like a barren uh, parking lot. So this definitely helped. Yeah, well, you know, we oh, that's a lot about how the game felt big, but Texas players came up big as well. So let's, let's get into the game and talk a little bit about that. Uh, I think one thing that really stood out to me um, – was the, was the defense. I think the defense showed out in a way that uh, nobody really expected going into it. Uh, like we said earlier, they started out, gave up 14 quick points, but from then on, pitched a shutout. Um, like, Ross, what impressed you most about this defense? What was different this week that we haven't seen against Maryland, against Tulsa? What was different for this Texas squad? Well, first I'm going to give credit to where credit is due to first quarter JT Daniels because he came out looking good, and it was like, Clearly, he was listening to everything that was going on, and I was like, USC's going to run away with this game in the first quarter. It was looking like that, and I was like, not only is this is this going to be a USC win, it's looking like it's like they might run away with this because it was a, a pretty slow start. And then after that, I mean, I don't know what happened. We, we were talking about it, and we were like, what changed both on the Texas sideline and, and at USC because down the stretch, it was just there was nothing. They had no flow to their offense. They weren't getting the same completed passes. They had negative five rushing yards by the end of the game. And, like, the Texas run-stopping defense just just came out to play. I mean, USC was five for six on their third-down conversions in the first quarter, and that seemed like a bit of a problem. And I was like, if they can't turn this around, they're definitely not picking up the win. And then down the stretch over the next three quarters, USC's offense only goes one for nine. And, you know, a lot of that is attributed to how many yards it was for each conversion. But, I mean, they really stepped up down the stretch. I mean, there there was clearly a switch flipped. I mean, JT Daniels threw for 129 yards. I even saw the LA Times uh, reporter Bill Plaschke tweeted, you know, something special is happening in Austin right now. Um, the thing was that they could not run the ball. They had one, you know, I think it was uh, – car he had like a 23 yard touchdown up the middle um after that i mean the texas defense shut down the run and so usc really had no option but to just throw the ball around and see you know see what sticks and they, they had some big completions i mean they had some huge completions but 
that's that they were living and dying off of a true freshman who should be in high school trying to find some receivers with 103,000 fans booing him. And so I think, you know, once Texas realized they this team can't run the ball right now and they have a freshman quarterback, they just I mean, USC collapsed. You get outscored 34 to 0 after the first quarter and they they looked helpless actually i mean nothing was going right the blocked field goal i mean we were just talking about that nothing i mean there it couldn't have gone worse for usc they they got a fumble uh daniel young fumbles the ball they come around and i told ross at the time like keep note of that fumble because typically this is when texas falls apart or this is when they you know give up the game and so usc moves down the field set up for a field goal and caden stearns i mean basically runs through untouched just i mean swats it and if that's not worse, I mean, if that's not bad enough, you know, Anthony Wheeler scoops it up and scores. And if that's not bad enough, USC loses their kicker. Uh, they later said that he tore his ACL trying to, you know, tackle Wheeler. And it looked like non-contact. But anyway, that kind of just summed up the entire night for this Trojan team. They're, they're a young team on offense that, you know, couldn't really move the ball after the first quarter. A defense that was given poor field position because of a punter that ripped off a couple of like 15 yard punts i mean special teams was bad defense you know was on the field the whole game it just it was tough to watch if you're a usc fan yeah i'm just looking at some of the numbers in the box score um jt daniels threw 48 passes yeah. which uh, is again like you said for a kid who should still be in high school a kid who was literally born in the 21st century <laughs> um that's a lot to expect of them. The, the team had 99 uh, penalty yards, which, I mean, that's, that, that's something that is a killer. And then, you know, time of possession, Texas held the ball for 34 minutes uh, and USC only for 25. Um, so it was kind of just a – it felt like a different Texas squad out there. Um, anyway, let's – you know, we talked a lot about the defense. Um, CJ, what, what did you see from the offense that seemed different this week? Well, like you said, um, offense, uh, it certainly put up more points than the first two, first two games. Uh, a lot more vertical passing was evident. Um, I know Tim Beck uh, kind of gets happy with uh, some of these bubble screens, um, more lateral movement, but just pushing the ball downfield, especially when you have you know potential NFL receivers and Colin Johnson and they'll join Humphrey. Um, like those guys are playmakers. You get the ball in their hands. It's something that Texans, Texas fans have been – begging to see all season and just giving them an opportunity to go out and, you know, just tossing that ball up to Joshua Moore in the end zone. That's a, a vertical play that we haven't seen in the first two weeks and something that, you know, in college football, more times than not, if you throw the ball deep, good things are going to happen. And so I think that alone is a very, uh, is something Texas fans should be very optimistic about moving forward. Let's talk a little bit about Sam Ellinger. He certainly played, I think mostly a good game, but you know, Completion percentage, you know, he was 15 to 33 um, with two touchdowns, no interceptions. But, you know, what what did Ellinger show? What didn't he show? You know, what, does he, what, what needs to be worked on? I thought it was an interesting thing that Tom Herman said post-game, and he said we knew coming in that Sam wasn't going to have a good completion percentage, and yet, I mean, he still had the green light to fire away. And I was I was kind of impressed despite – the low completion percentage, I, I don't know, I think he was hovering around 50% for most of the game. Um, but I was I was impressed with his game nonetheless because he wasn't 
Um, he wasn't hesitant on any of his throws. He was really airing it out. And, I mean, for the first quarter, the first quarter and a half, like, he and JT Daniels were both doing the same thing. They were both playing. They knew this was a big game. And neither of them were really shying away from the spotlight. So, I mean, I think overall, I mean, Sam had those two passing touchdowns, another one on the ground later to uh, to put them at 37. But I think overall, I mean, a really good, strong performance from Sam Ellinger when there's been a lot of questionable decisions about his play over, you know, his season and a half almost that he's been here now. But, I mean, overall, I think this is is perhaps Sam's best performance to date. Like to like, out of both years. I mean, for what this game means, like overall as a leader for Texas. I mean, maybe you don't see it just on like the stat sheet, but I think overall as a team, this is you. I mean, you can definitely say this is their best win that they've had since since Notre Dame. And I think Sam did exactly what they needed him to do. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe he didn't pass for four hundred yards or four touchdowns or whatever, but he did everything that was asked of him almost. And I think. I mean, he put them in the best position to win. Okay. I mean, I don't think, like you said, like going if we're going off of stats, obviously it's not his best performance. Yeah, no, um, I should have, I should have backtracked. Yeah. The biggest thing for him is, I mean, no turnovers. We so we've seen what he can do when the fourth quarter rolls around and the game is potentially on the line. He th- he he throws it away. And so the biggest thing that I saw is, you know, like like you said, Ross, we he knew going into this game. That he wasn't gonna, you know, throw seventy five percent, eighty percent, and so I mean, he was throwing a lot of deep balls. He was throwing a lot of low percentage, you know, passes, and they knew that they wanted to take that chance. When you have little Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson, I think that's the way it should be. I think you just you take chances, you throw it up to them, and most of the time they're gonna catch it. You know, if you you know put it in a good position. There were times where Colin Johnson, you know, had to jump over cornerbacks or safeties just to you know get the ball, but he knows that they can do that, and so. I'm not really worried about the completion percentage. I'm just more impressed with the fact that he didn't, you know, throw the ball away or he he really took care of the ball. And, you know, that, that alone shows a lot of growth as opposed to even from last year to even Maryland. And so, uh, especially with such a big game, just showing that he can take care of the ball and put a game away mm-hmm. is the biggest thing that he could have done. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, like you were saying, just keeping like keeping the ball on Texas possession, like that allows Texas to put points on the board and keeps the ball out of UC hands. Um, I also want to touch on the the running back play as well. Um, even though the the box score numbers weren't you know something to write home about, it wasn't terrible, and it was something that USC had to respect. Um, we've uh, the last couple of years there hasn't been much of a running game, and teams can kind of sit back in coverage and force some errant throws from Ellinger or Bouchelle or whoever's that quarterback, and that's kind of been the downfall of the Texas offense. But um, adding in the the vertical aspect of it um, and, and also a running game makes a defense as a – they have to respect every part of the Texas offense, which is something that hasn't been there. Yeah, I think they had 160 rushing yards, and, I mean, if you're a Texas fan, you have to take that at, at that point. With, with what is being advertised as a really good USC defense – I mean, they've given up a lot of yards on the ground before this, but I mean, there were times where Sam was the leading rusher on this team, and so he finished the, the year as the leading. Yeah, rusher, so. and so I mean, Trey Watson's talked about it. This this game was personal for him. I mean, being from Cal, being from Southern California, playing USC four years when he was at Cal Berkeley, losing to them all four times, 
I mean, this was a big moment for him. And so, I mean, he he was playing with a little more juice. I, I, he might not say that, you know, on the record, but, but the way he talks about this game, I, I think we all knew that this game meant something more to him. Um, and with Daniel Young, I mean, they uh, they need to get him the ball more, honestly. I mean, this guy's running people over left and right. And even if they get hit him behind the line of scrimmage, he almost, you know, he's going to get positive yards almost. I mean, you kind of get that feeling with, just the type of runner he is. I know him and Trey are obviously different backs. Um, and Tom Herman said that Daniel Young is kind of their goal line back. And, but I mean, I would almost like to see him get in the game a little bit more. I know, especially with Keontae Ingram, if he is still out, you know, those are obviously going to be the two guys that uh, Tom Herman's going to move forward with. That brings an interesting question up, at least from, from in my own mind, because I mean, Keontae, he may or may not come back this week. I know they're kind of, uh, they're kind of testing it out to see where he's at right now still. But I mean, you said we need to see Danny Young starting to get some more carries because against against Tulsa they weren't all there. It was mostly, you know, Trey Watson and Keontae Ingram. So when he gets back, I mean, I know they've kind of talked about it like a three-headed monster kind of thing back in the preseason. But how do you divide up these carries? You think if Keontae comes back this week? or maybe even the week after against Kansas State, where do you think all these running backs fall in line now that we've seen three weeks of production? I think if Keontae does come back soon, then, I mean, it didn't look like they really made a whole lot of changes with Daniel Young, um, but if Keontae Ingram does come back soon, he'll definitely get fall back into that goal line package, which is where he's going to succeed. Um, Trey Watson, I mean, he showed off that speed. I mean, he tore his ACL and MCL less than a year ago, and, I mean, his explosiveness is... I mean, hard to believe, especially with an injury like that. Um, so, I mean, when when they're not, you know, inside the red zone, I would probably, you know, expect to see Keontae and Trey, a combo of that, get them to the goal line and then throw Danny in there. And you can almost bet that he's going to find the end zone. So I think that's just about all we can talk about as far as the game itself. Uh, we are wrapping up, we're running short on time, but let's talk a little bit about what this game might mean for the future. Not only the immediate future, we've got a ranked opponent um, to expect Texas to play next week uh, in TCU. Uh, the Horned Frogs just lost to Ohio State, but they, they still will represent a challenge uh, for the Horns at DKR. And then, you know, even beyond that, it, there's a lot of implications for recruiting. Uh, so maybe let's talk about, uh, you know, next week first, and then we can talk about, you know, the future uh, with CJ after that. Yeah, I think... We're going to learn just how big of a win this is in a week, honestly. I think what we see this Saturday, this coming Saturday against TCU, is going to determine just how bad USC was or just how good Texas was. And so uh, if Texas you know, can keep it close or rattle out a win against what is going to be their best opponent so far this year, um, that that's going to show, I think, Texas fans that, okay, last week wasn't a fluke, USC – is still going to be bad, but last week was still a good performance by the Texas team. And so um, it's not going to take a lot of waiting. It's going to take Saturday, 3.30. What does Texas put out? How do they react to what should be a big win? Um, and how do they make sure that they're not there's not a hangover from the biggest game of some of these players' lives to yet another huge game? It's just, you know, it might not, it's not going to have the national attention. It's It'll have it on a, lesser degree but how does this team react and what team goes out is it going to be the team we saw saturday or is it going to be the team that you know went out to fedex field 
Yeah, I think it's kind of like the way that you said it earlier, Alex, is that people started to realize that the Notre Dame win wasn't all that great because the rest of the year, you know, it was they went de- four and eight. Definitely a disappointment, like by Texas standards for sure. So I think right now, I mean, everybody's flying high. They're, I mean, their confidence is probably through the roof right now. West Campus was probably on fire last Oh night. my gosh, I believe it. But I think we're going to see an even bigger test than TCU this week. They're a better team than USC. They're still ranked. I mean, they played U- I mean, USC. They played Ohio State, but I mean, they're still a real solid team sitting at 2 and 1 right now, and I think we're going to see this next week about how much the USC one actually matters. Uh, and and it wasn't just next week that was really affected. A lot of people have been writing about it. CJ is working on probably multiple pieces about it. Uh, recruiting is a huge aspect of this game. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the, how recruiting in this game kind of came together? Yeah, so obviously this was a big game for, for several reasons. Uh, the first one would be um, the to counter Texas A&M, who uh, hosted several top uh, recruits who are down to Texas and A&M. Uh, last week when they uh, played uh, Clemson, excuse me, um, this was the perfect counterpunch for Texas to come back and, and kind of show these recruits what the program's about, the future of the program, and, and just kind of give a glimpse of what these kids can, um, what they can expect whenever they, they join the 40 Acres. Uh, obviously, there's, there's about 50 recruits on campus. Several were uh, on their official visits. Um, Texas had the number one athlete in the U.S., Brew McCoy out of Matter Day. Uh, he was in town. Obviously, USC and Texas are the top two for him. So having him in Austin playing, you know, the Trojans it definitely bodes well for Texas. Um, they got a commitment. Darian Brown, a running back out of Georgia, uh, he ended up committing uh, this afternoon, actually, uh, which actually puts Texas back in the top 10 rankings of the 24 7 composites. Um, so certainly the momentum is swinging back in Texas's favor after the Maryland loss. It's certainly something that will have to continue with the season. You know, obviously, they say it, say just win and recruits will come. It's easier easier said than done, but that win last night certainly helped. And I think the uh, environment is something recruits were most surprised about. Aside from Brown's uh, commitment, like you said, I think the biggest thing to note is Texas needed something to counterpunch Texas A&M's stage from two weeks ago or a week ago. I mean, it seemed like the recruiting world was just surrounding College Station after that game, even in a loss. I mean, they had a ton of momentum. And so the biggest thing for Texas is, I mean, obviously get a win, but put on a show, which is what the crowd did, which is, I mean, from, you know, the, the celebrities to the win to the crowd, they this was the best possible counter that Texas could have put forward. And I, I think you're going to see, I mean, moving forward, I think you're going to see uh, some results as long as, you know, they don't collapse down the season. Oh, yeah. And you can see it on Twitter as well. Uh, Javon Shepard, Texas won his uh, commitment early uh, over the Texas A&M program. Uh, he goes to Texas A&M for the Clemson game, tweets out afterward that, you know, this commitment's going to get kind of crazy. He was in Austin last night, uh, apparently was won over once again, so being able to sustain a punch by A&M or Oklahoma or anybody who uh, could swindle off some of these recruits and being able to s- sustain their their commitment to something Texas definitely needs moving forward. 
All right. Um, I think we've touched on just about everything from this game. Um, I know it was exciting to be there as a fan. I know in the press box it must have been really exciting, too, just to kind of see it from that perspective. But uh, that's all we've got for you this week. Um, I hope that my job doesn't get wind of this because uh, I wasn't sick yesterday. I did not have a stomach bug, uh, but I did tell certain people that I did. So... Um, comeback player of the year absolutely yeah i came back so quickly it was like yesterday i was having nausea and today i'm hosting a podcast and i went to a game yesterday who knows whatever anyway uh be sure and follow us on twitter uh follow texan sports at texan sports follow our podcast department at texan podcast uh texan sports is going to be your resource to really keep uh track of how the longhorns are doing throughout the season and texan podcast is where you can uh, keep up to date with all of our shows. that's all we've got thanks to alex ross and uh cj for joining us this week we'll see you next time uh to break down how the horns did against the horn frogs of tcu uh have a good one guys <laughs>